Hi sisters, this is Danielle. Daniel here with you in San Diego with my best friend, Kirsten, hello. Hello everyone. Hi, it's been a while since we've been able to record. It's been kind of summer travel and schedules and so we're very excited to continue the Women um, Sisters in Zion podcast and the Women in the Gospel little series that we're doing and especially right now we're focusing on the lineage of our Savior and this is going to be a fun topic on the subject of Ruth. And one of the things that really struck me from this story before we go into it, um, but you're going to see how mindful God is of his, all of his children, but we're talking about his women. Like we are very treasured to him. And I just want to say, you know, this is really fresh for me. And, and I felt like to, to share this, I got in a car accident yesterday and I just, you know, it was, it was really scary. And I, I just couldn't believe, um, I don't know. I felt like there were angels. I felt like God was surrounded. I mean, I mean, my Audi held up really well, but I also feel like there was just like, God was so mindful of all the emotional stuff of all of the, um, safety features that needed to happen on this, uh, really, you know, dangerous road and, um, fast paced road, I should say it's about 50 miles an hour. And I got hit into in the back and the, um, and the majority of the people fled the scene and I was kind of by myself for a minute. And I just, I just afterwards and looking at, it, I mean, I was not injured one tiny bit and the whole thing could have been so much worse than it was. Uh, my little car is injured, but not me. And I'm just like, I, I was reminded yesterday of how mindful God is of each of us. And I felt like I was just, when I was thinking about, Oh my gosh, a lot of things could have been worse in that whole scenario. And I felt this, like God was like, your mission is not done. <laughs> He's like, I've got you. And I knew my mission wasn't done yet. And I was really grateful for that. Um, and my dad poured, my poor dad was on the phone with me during the accident and I was in my convertible. So again, you've got the, the lid off of my car and the sunny 80 degree weather. And my, I'm on the phone in the car, right? The Bluetooth of the car. So my dad hears the entire smashing of the car and back, back smashing me from the back and me scream. And, you know, this is going to sound, you know, funny. My dad and I have a really good relationship. I love my dad. We are really close. Um, but it brought us closer in a way that, I don't know, I went to bed last night thanking my heavenly father for his love for me and also for my earthly father. He was so concerned about me and, it, and he was just called me and um, he just actually called me this morning. I haven't called him back again. Just how are you doing? Like for him to be involved with me during that accident, um, I felt like my heavenly father and my earthly father were, were there with me during it. And it just, I felt so protected and so supported. And I, I'm sure many of you have gone through things like that. And, and I love, you know, the title of our podcast is unshaken. And that's the, what we're talking about with Ruth today and just how, you know, this car accident, it did, it shook me up, but I felt like, gosh, uh, afterwards, like I, you know, my father was there, my heavenly father was there. And I was just, gosh, you are so supported and we can remain unshaken in all of these things that are, you know, happening around us. If we have the Lord as our shepherd and, you know, I want to go into a little bit of with Ruth as well. I don't know if Kirsten, if you want to say anything before I jump into Ruth, but I'm just so glad you're okay. I just yeah. have been praying this morning and just giving so much thanks to God for you and everything that you are here to accomplish. I'm like, wow. I, I think I'm in shock now just hearing about your car accident and I just heard about it just a few minutes ago. So anyway, we're just glad you're here, girl. Thank Take you. Us. I want to hear what else, what else, when you got, you got a message for us today. So let's hear it. I am really, really grateful. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, me you. too. Thank you. Love you. And very grateful. I'm okay. And that, um, yeah, I could walk away from the accident. Just, just kind of brings you back down to the gentleness of mortality and how important it is staying close to the Lord. There's a lot of information out there and 
I just, I, if, if we don't have the Lord as our shepherd, where are we filtering this information through? And I think that's the key. And so I want to go to the story of Ruth. Now, for those of you, you probably know, you've, there's a whole um, Bible uh, book on Ruth, which is kind of exciting that there's a couple uh, of women in the Old Testament that get their own um, book. Isn't that amazing? I, I just want to comment that, why did Ruth get her own book? I mean, there's, I, I'm glad she did, of course, but there must be a real solid reason. She gets her own book. So excited to, you know, jump into this, uh, yeah. you know, I, I agree. I just, I love her story. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I just think women, um, like we've talked about before, this is the time of the unveiling of women, women's power, the strong morality that this world needs stems from the morality and the strength of women. And we are not going to survive unless women's morality that we stand up for those moral rights, those things that our country are founded upon. So Let's go into the story of Ruth. So Ruth comes from the land of Moab. And so she's a Moabite and her um, sister-in-law also is a Moabite. I'm just forgetting her name at the moment, but that's okay. We'll go into that in a minute. So, so the Moabites, let me tell you where they stem from. So we have is Orpah. Oh, Orpah. Okay. I knew it's something like Oprah, but it's Orpah. <laughs> Opposite of Oprah. Um, okay. So we have, um, okay. So if you guys remember Sodom and Gomorrah, um, that city was destroyed completely because of immorality and sin just had completely gone away from the, um, uh, laws of God. And so this is why I started this off with saying how the morality of women's having standing for morals are godly morals, right? This is so important in our day right now. So um, so Sodom and Gomorrah had gotten away from that. And what happened is Lot is the nephew of Abraham and Abraham warns him, it's going to be destroyed. You need to get out of there. And think about this. This is a, this is why I think that it's important to even remember this story, because if you were warned that you needed to flee, would you do so? Would you leave? How much are our hearts set upon our homes and our things and just our comforts, even our comforts of, of home. I watched the show alone on, you know, Kirsten does too. And it's, you know, they pretty much are just trying to survive in the wilderness on their own. It's like leaving all those comforts. Um, and so, so Lot and his wife and his two daughters, they, they leave. But what happens is Lot's wife says, oh, I don't want to leave my home. And so she turns back. It says she turns into a pillar of salt. I actually don't know if that means literally or, you know, was destroyed by some salt geyser. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm just making that up. But so Lot's wife decides she doesn't, she doesn't really have the faith that she needs to flee. So she turns back and is destroyed with the city. So Lot is stuck there. Uh, he leaves. He, he listens to Abraham. And he's there with his two daughters. His da they see the destruction. And so for some reason, they think it's the very end of the entire planet and decide to um, get their father. I think they um, intoxicate him with um, alcohol and they have relations with him and have children with him so they can repopulate the earth. So... Anyway, one of their sons, one of the daughter's sons with their father, and this is sounding really weird, um, ha is named Moab. So they name the son, the father and the daughter that have a child, name the son Moab. And so the Moabites come from this lineage and have always be started off as a group of, um, they worship different gods. Um, their main god is Shamash, I think is how you say it. They sacrifice children. Um, they're, they're really, um, really far from the laws of God. So this is the Moabite people descend from Moab, which is Lot's daughter's, Lot's son and Lot's daughter's son. <laughs> it sounds really bizarre. So anyway, that's where this people stem from. So you can see they have all these practices that are, I would just say for lack of a better word right now, satanic, like they're killing children to offer to their God. Yeah. Isn't it interesting though, that Abraham warns Lot to leave. 
like Abraham is, is told by God, get out. So Abraham tells Lot to leave. Lot does get out, but then he like doesn't follow the laws of God after that. You know what I mean? Like how interesting that he then goes and procreates with his daughters and then they, they, they still follow. Basically they took Sodom and Gomorrah for, for lack of a better description, you know, with them um, in their beliefs, in their heart, in their, in their worship, you know? And so then they like took that and still pra practiced those things even after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It is interesting. And I actually don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened to Lot later on if he continued to be like the Moabite people. Um, but the sun definitely is where the Moabites stem from. Uh -huh. And so definitely, quickly, let's say Lot they didn't, does follow Abraham's counsel, but how quickly that generation yeah. quit, you know, I mean, like, what is that? So it's Lot, let's just say Lot does, you know, whatever happened with his daughters, that was weird. But anyway, there's his daughter. So his grandson, though, his grandson is like, nah, we're not into that, you know, and, and how interesting what I have felt, I feel like saying, I have had such an appreciation for the scriptures um, recently, especially, you know, raising children for me, like, I think I've heard so many times, well, we have to have the records. We have to have the records. The records were super important. Nephi had to go get the records from Laban. It was like, they wouldn't be able to remember all the commandments of God and, and understand the dealings of God with his children without the records. Yeah. And so, you know, what was Lot and his family missing? Maybe there were some records they didn't keep or, uh, how did those things get lost so quickly? I think is really the question that we can ask ourselves right now. How do those truths get lost so quickly? Yeah, you bring up a good point. And I think it comes down to what is your heart set upon? So even if you leave a city, um, what is your heart set upon? Who's your shepherd? That's, that's the question that's been ringing in my mind a lot this whole last week. And I have some other stuff, maybe another podcast we can kind of do a little sidetrack on, but but that was the question was, who's your shepherd? Whose voice are you hearkening to? Because if, if it's not Christ, guess what? It's only one other person. Yeah. And hearkening is really important as well. I, I love that word. That, that word has been ringing really true for me as well. But it's not hearkened. It's hearkening. Because what I'm, what I'm seeing with law is I'm, I'm just picturing it. I'm picturing a lot of us too. Like, let's say we're called to go somewhere or we're called to just, you know, do something and we do it. We're like, oh yes, I'm following the commandments. You know, I do it. But then like right after that, I'm off, I'm off on some other tangent, living some other law, you know? So it's not really like what you've done. It's what you're doing currently and what you're teaching your children and, and those around you currently, how you are currently practicing. Um, it's really important. We'll see how that kind of plays out um, with this family too. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. Good segue into, let's talk about this family. So, so we have Naomi and Naomi is the mother-in-law of Ruth. Okay. So Naomi is married to Eli Malek and they live in Bethlehem and Judah. And so well, there's a, um, the Bethlehem of Judah is where the, these are the people that are, um, uh, serving the God of the land, which is, you know, God, the father and in Jesus Christ, Jehovah. So that they, they have these records and they, they're, this is the, you know, the saints for, you know, a lack of a better term at the moment too. So these are his old, old Testament saints. So they actually start to, um, uh, just kind of leave the ways of God um, on the wayside. They start to go away from those things and there starts to become a famine. And I think it was interesting. One of the things that they start to go away from. So they, there's a lot of people that have um, farms and then these farms, they have wheat and um, other grains and things like that. And, and God had a commandment that said, um, basically it's kind of, I'm just going to put in easy terms for us, like 10%, like, which is they call it gleaning. It's like the outsides that you allow the poor 
to come and just get food for themselves and then you can sell the rest. So 10% is basically God is saying, and it doesn't really say 10%, but I'm just kind of putting it into terms for tithing for us. Uh, but there's a portion that you give and let the poor take and take home and make bread from and the rest that, hey, farmer, you can sell it. So what happened is it started getting to the hearts of the people a little bit more greed. Oh, well, if I sell it all, I'll make this much money. And so they stopped doing their their offering, their tithe in a sense. And they stopped doing this, this 10% of this gleaning. It's called glean, G-L-E-A-N. And a lot of them stopped doing that. So then what happened, I think this is very interesting, is they went into this, obviously, the scarcity mindset of like, oh, I want more greed, scarcity. So I'm not going to like, you know, let the poor come and take it. I'm going to sell it and I get more money. I can buy more things, whatever. Um, so within that, they actually started going into a famine. So this, this entire area of, you know, God's children that, that um, serve God, uh, you know, God, the father and the Jehovah, they start going into a famine. So Naomi and Eli Malek, they decide to leave um, because there's a famine in the land. And actually, I think probably others did this as well, but they left and went to the country of Moab. So here we're back. So kind of bringing you around. So they're, they leave Bethlehem and Judah and they go to Moab because there's just a lot more abundance there and they just, you know, work. And so they take their two sons with them. Do you want to talk about the two sons for a minute? You're on mute or no? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm good. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. You're good now. Um, I also just wanted to yeah. clarify, I think an, an important point that you said, and we were talking about this before is the God of the land, um, the covenant on the land, right? And it's very important to understand that when the people in Bethlehem, Judah stopped, you know, allowing those to glean or like Danielle mentioned, paying their tithing, so to speak, right? That was a covenant on that land with those people, with God. And so when they stopped keeping that covenant on that land, then that land no longer produced for them. And I feel like that really relates to us in our day that we live in, in lands here, here in the United States. I think most people maybe who follow us are here, but you could be from anywhere, right? But your lands have, you know, blessings and covenants on them. And as we serve and follow God, we are blessed in this land. Um, it's very, very important to remember that. So the sons, um, one of them is named Killian. Now Killian was married to Orpha. So not Oprah, but Orpah. <laughs> and um, yeah. And then uh, Nao, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Ruth was married to, what was, who was? Mahlon. Mahlon, yes. So Ruth was married to Mahlon. And so they were living there in the land of Moab um, for a time with Elimelech and Naomi. And then Elimelech, Mahlon, and Killian all die. I mean, imagine like the tragedy. This is so heartbreaking. And Ruth and Orpah are from the Moabite land, you know? So these aren't like their, their family history does not trace back to Bethlehem Judah, right? So what happens is uh, eventually Naomi decides that the only thing for her to really do to be able to survive would be to go back to her country, her native land, and to try to seek refuge, you know, shelter and, and the charity of those from her faith and maybe some, you know, far extended family or something, right? And so at first, Ruth and Orpah go with her. And so they go on this journey and they get to like the first couple of nights or whatever. And Naomi actually says to her girls, to the girls, uh, actually in the beginning, even she says to them, go back to your families. The, oh, I have nothing to offer you. I'm sorry. You know, this is terrible. I can't produce any more children. Like we're not, I'm not going to have anything left to give you. Please go back to your own families and just try to start over and make the best of this situation. And for uh, uh, the first night or so, actually both girls go with her. They want to see that she has made it safely or is at least taken care of, you know, on a journey right back. But what happens is uh, Orpa does decide to go back to her homeland and go back to her parents. But Ruth 
uh, decides to stay with her mother-in-law. She feels very strongly. She says, entreat me not to leave thee and I, I will stay with thee forever, right? Basically like you are my mother now, you are my family. She feels very strongly uh, and called to stay with Naomi. That, and, and just, if you just think of it when, you know, how you just told the story, kind of painted that picture. I'm like thinking of this amazing woman. So they're going to travel. This is not safe. They have no money. It's not safe to be walking along these roads to Bethlehem. And I, if I wrote down somewhere and I'll find it how far it was, but it was several days journey. But the, the amazing thing is, is she has no prospects. What is she doing? Like, she could probably go home and she knows her people, like all, everything that she would know and be familiar with and have um, probably familiarity in a lifestyle and finding a new husband would be going back home. And what a leap of faith. And I, and I want to say, I want to interject. Um, I don't know. It's not said necessarily in the scriptures, but I would imagine the only, the main reason why she did that is she had to have had so much love for her mother-in-law but she also felt the love her mother-in-law had for her and for God like that. Cause love we know comes from, you know, our God, he, he is the God of the author of love. And so that must've really spoke to her soul. Like that was so much more important to her than any life she could have ever led. And so she went into this unknown and walked all these miles back to Bethlehem and Judah to a people who she probably realized were not going to accept her she was a Moabite. So there's so many leap of, leaps of faith that Ruth had, was even taking in doing this and how much love it must have been in her heart as a choice woman of God to do so. That's beautiful. Imagine too, you know, that if you're raised, you know, in this Moabite culture, you have all these different gods that you worship. You know, they have like all these different things that they do, these different rituals and things that they do. And here is Naomi saying, all of this has failed me. Like I actually, my, my husband is dead. My two sons are dead. I, I'm, I'm done. I, the only thing I have now, I, I tried to go to this other land. I tried to do these other customs or whatever. <clears throat> Going back to the God that she knows that, that loves her, the God of her fathers, right? Was really the only thing. And I think Ruth saw that she saw the faith of Naomi and she, she knew that this God was their only hope that these other customs and things that they had been living in and raised with were, they didn't serve them at all. And she probably was really afraid because it was going to be new and fresh, but also feeling in her heart, this is actually the, the true way back to our heavenly father. So I, I, I have to do this. This is the only way to do it. Yeah, she, she must have, because in the, in the scriptures, it says that Naomi says, the Lord has turned against me. And so you would think, I mean, Ruth had to have so much faith because Naomi's sitting here saying, Hey, this God that I serve has turned against me. My whole, you know, my husband and my children are now dead. And Ruth's like, well, I'll still go with you to the land of your God. You know, it's, I mean, there's such a huge leap of faith and for her to turn away from her own people and everything that she knew to worship um, for when Naomi was downtrodden saying, Hey, my God's turned against me. Are you sure you want to go to where my God is? You know? And she, I mean, just, but I, again, I think it has, to, it must come back down to love there love in her heart and the love she felt from Naomi, that love that is absent in any other God. Like I said, you know, like a minute ago is, you know, who is it that you serve? There's only two, you know, two masters. There's only two is Christ, your shepherd, who is the God of love of and it, in any form. He is the only, you know, God of love, our father in heaven and our, and our savior, or if it's not him, then it's not, then it's not him. <laughs> then you know who it is. And there's only two masters. It's either God or what they say, mammon, right? Yeah, definitely. So they go on their journey and they actually go all the way back to the, um, you know, the land of Naomi, which is Bethlehem, Judah, right? And so they get there and they are, you know, they don't have shelter. Like you have to understand, like they, you know, they are received back into this community and it's not, it's not like 
pretty. People are probably like, oh my gosh, they're back. Oh, wow. Look at you. Your husband died. Your son's died. You have nothing, you know? And so Naomi uh, has the idea for Ruth to go and glean in the fields of Boaz. And Boaz actually is uh, a, a kinsman of Naomi and, and her husband, Elimelech. So she, he is a far, you know, like a distant cousin or something like that, but she knows that. And so she sets Ruth up. She's like, go and, go and glean in this guy's fields and we'll see what we can do here, you know? <laughs> and so um, well, I, I, I just want to bring it back to also the word glean though, I just think it's interesting. Like you said, Danielle, you know, the people were not gleaning and then the famine was on the land and it's very, um, this, this word is very, it's prevalent in this scripture in chapter two, where it talks about gleaning and gleaners and things like that. Um, Boaz was a righteous man. He allowed people to glean in his fields. And so there's just like, he was righteous. He was doing what the Lord asked him to do. He was very wealthy, had a lot of abundance. And then here comes this woman who comes and gleans in his field. It's like, I just see the Lord going like shower blessings, just shower, shower, shower on Boaz. I mean, even including this woman who eventually he marries and I'm assuming falls in love with, you know what I mean? It's like all the things come to him because he is keeping those commandments of God. And I was just going to say, maybe um, remind everybody the lineage of Boaz. Oh, yes. This is one of my favorite parts. So if you remember in our last pod where we were talking about Rahab, who was the woman who the prostitute actually, who was sitting at the wall in the city of Jericho, she ends up, um, you know, being saved and goes with the people, um, the people of, uh, you know, to live in the city of Jericho. And she ends up marrying one of those commanders or those uh, spies, I guess, you know, who, who were uh, sent into the land. And so what I want to paint this picture of, and, and I don't know if it does this really well in the scriptures, so I didn't want to like, I'm not 100%, but in the book that we're referring to, it, it's very clear. And I, I do trust that she's done her research in this, but I just want to kind of preface it with that. Um, what I have come to understand is that Rahab and salmon yeah someone from the israelites rahab ends up marrying at least someone they they um they speculate that it was salmon and then they yeah. i mean they speculate that salmon was one of the spies and that that's who she married though yeah thank you yes yeah, so it makes for a great story in the book <laughs> it's a great love story but uh, Ru, uh excuse me rahab and salmon or another israelite man uh end up getting married and they together have, they produce Boaz. So what I want you to understand is the people, this is a mixed race person. Boaz is not a pure blood, you know, pure bread <laughs> Israelite man. He is a mixture of a, you know, Israelite man and also Rahab who was from the city before. And so Jericho. Boaz is, yeah, Jericho. Thank you. Boaz is not married. He doesn't have a wife. He, he just, it's, it's very uncommon. And it, and it really come, you know, kind of poses the question like, well, why wasn't he married? He's this wealthy man with all these fields and he doesn't have a wife. And it's like, what was it about him that was undesirable? And, and there's a little bit of that kind of question, you know, so here comes Ruth, who is also a, a Moabite, a Moabite woman, right? And she comes to his fields and she's so humble and she's seeking the Lord and she's following her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she's wanting to live the, the covenants um, of those people, right? And she's given Boaz and she's taken care of. And it's just this really interesting love triangle, <laughs> the way that yeah. it all works out. <laughs> the way that it works out. And, and we don't know if she went into other fields and tried to glean and possibly got, you know, turned away. Um, in fact, um, we do know that they weren't worried about her safety as a woman and that she could be assaulted. Um, possibly that means, you know, raped because when she goes to the field of uh, Boaz, he, he says, Hey, he says to glean, 
um, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here and by in, in be by the maidens, he says. And he says, um, he says somewhere in here that I will, I will not let any of the men get near you. So he, he's putting this protection around her and he's saying, no, I won't let anybody touch you. You stay by these women. And even, and it sounds like he had to probably fend for her. So I'm imagining that they weren't accepting of a Moabitish woman and, and, but he did, he did accept her. And he was like, he was putting up a protection for her. And they, I mean, if you think about Naomi and her had just come to this um, home to her homeland, um, of Bethlehem, but they have nothing. So having to glean has got to be a very humbling thing, let alone um, Naomi's older. I don't know if, you know, sounds like maybe she couldn't go and glean and it was a lot of hard work. So, so um, Naomi had to go do it this um, every chance that she could to bring home food for them and bring home a way to make some money and some food. So I just think that's a really uh, cool piece to think about that Boaz, for some reason, in the goodness of his heart, just said, yep, I'm going to make sure you make sure you stay here. Um, You stay by these women and and, and I will not let no men touch you. And he actually says to her in verses 10 and 11, she asks him, why have I found grace in thine eyes? Why are you doing this for me? And he tells her, uh, I've been shown all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and, you know, has come to us. So I think he knows what she has done, the the big sacrifice and, and what that must have been like for her and he's he's kind of inspired by it really yeah and he so to put the context Boaz is I think Eli Melanek <laughs> I can't say his name very well but Naomi's husband I believe they're cousins or nephew uncle something um pretty close um kinsmen to to each other yeah they are yeah and that's why it makes sense too right that um that Ruth eventually does end up with Boaz because of that relationship, you know, given, you know, and we've had some of these discussions on our pod already about the nature of a family and, and a woman who is given in marriage. Uh, she is then given to another man in that family. Um, so it does make sense that she is with Boaz. Yeah. And I even, so, so Naomi, um, so Boaz is a really you know, really good guy. And it, and then lineage wise, um, Ruth would be able to marry someone else in that family. And there's actually another guy, um, that's younger, um, a little bit, um, from what I understand, not as faithful to the Lord. And so Naomi really wants to have her be with Boaz because this Boaz is a better guy, but this other guy is first in line. Yeah. And so we'll kind of, maybe we'll go into the story about how Ruth and Boaz get together. Do you want to start that or do you want me to start? Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So I'm just trying to refresh my memory too. So, so there comes a a festival or a feast or something is what it's called. Do you have it right there? You can remember the name of it. The festival of in the book or in the scriptures? In the scripture. It's in both, but I can't remember <laughs> the name of it. <laughs> well, it's kind of an interesting story and I don't understand the whole thing. And that's why it's a little harder to tell, but, but basically they have this festival and, um, Naomi and her, for some reason, in order, um, to let Boaz know that, um, Ruth has chosen him Mm-hmm. They devise a plan for her after this festival. Boaz is going to go back and lay down in this like field thing, field type area. Um, they call it weren't something. They, weren't they? Um, it was a harvest, weren't they? It was like a big harvest. So they're harvesting all their grain. It's a time of the season where it's like it's bringing in the bacon. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> not the bacon, but the heart, the grain. And so they are. He is working in the uh mill in the grain mill with his workers like all night long and so he just sleeps there because they're like basically just working on this big project and so they know that they're doing this big project and he's not even going to leave the mill he's going to stay there the whole night so ruth and naomi know that he's going to be there sleeping and so that's when 
they have her go to him and let him know that she has chosen him. And it's called a threshing floor. That's the word I was looking. I was like, what is it called? So he, he, you thought it was a dance floor. You're like, oh yeah, it's a dance floor. No. Boogie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're the boogie on the threshing floor. <laughs> no, they're actually working, harvesting a lot, a lot of grain. So it's just a very busy time. So he goes and lays down in on the, the threshing floor. And so she comes and lays at his feet in, and this is a sign that, hey, I've chosen you. I want to be with you. And it also, you know, when he wakes and he sees that she's there, he say he was, you know, seems to be, I'm going to kind of impose some words onto here, but flattered that she would want to be with him. And he also doesn't want people to think that she had slept, that they had, you know, been together. So he says, you know, go, you know, leave. And this is when he says, hey, there's, I, yes, I would love to, you know, take you as a wife, but there's another kinsman that would be in line that I need to talk to that you would actually, um, be, uh, would be married to before Boaz. Boaz wouldn't be first in line. It'd be this other kinsman. Mm -hmm. So, so he goes to this other, um, kinsman and I mean, he says, I love this in verse 11. He says to Ruth that thou art a virtuous woman. And he says, and now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. And he says in 13, Ruth 3, 13, tarry this night and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not basically do it, I will do the part of the kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. And so he, he's saying like, yeah, I will take the, the, but, um, let's, let me make sure, you know, let's talk to the guy who's in line first. And so she, she lay by his feet in the, in that night. And then he gave, um, he let her go. And then he goes to talk to the kinsman. And this is an interesting story, but I'm trying to find the verse on it real quick, unless you have it, Kirsten. I, let's see the nearest relative declines in chapter four. Okay. Um, so he goes to the guy and he kind of tests him out. If I, as I was reading this, so we can just kind of read through it and then get the gist of the story here. And this is how we're wrapping it up. It's really, really cool. You guys, I, I just think um, it's fun to see this, the faith of Boaz and the faith of Naomi too, but Ruth and just how they come together here. So, so he said, um, to see. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, so he's just now talking to the nearer kinsman. He says, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Eli Malek. So he's telling him, Hey, our brother Eli Malek, she's selling this part of a land. So he's telling him first about this negotiation of this land uh, or the guy. And he says, and I thought to advertise to thee saying, do you want to buy it before the inhabitants? and before the elders of my people. And he says, if thou will redeem it. So he's doing this in front of the elders. So he's like got witnesses. And he says, if you want it, um, then, you know, but if thou will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is none to redeem it besides thee. So he has right upon this land basically is what this kinsman has right upon this land. And the, and the guy says, oh yeah, I'll redeem it. So the nearer kinsman says, yeah, I'll redeem it. Then, then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the land or the hand of Naomi, thou must also buy it of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So basically he's saying, yeah, you want the land, but you also means it comes with a wife and that the inheritance becomes, um, that land's inheritance becomes Ruth's son, not this kinsman's son. And so the kinsman realizes like, Oh, I won't even get the land. It's going to be my, my basically his son's land, but it's, um, Ruth's land. And, and so he says, he says, um, da, 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 I'm, I'm in, myself. he says, I can't. Yeah. Basically says I can't. Yeah. yeah He's I like, uh, never mind. So he, he lays out, Oh, there's land. So I just think it's interesting. He's like, Hey, there's land here. He says it in front of the elders do you want it? He's like, Oh yeah. And he's like, well, it comes with the wife and the, um, 
you know, the Moabitess Ruth and her son's actually going to be the inheritor of it, not necessarily you and your son, even though it would be, she doesn't have a son. It would be a son with him. But he just says, oh, never mind. <laughs> so he said, so this is kind of interesting. It says, um, he says, no, I cannot redeem it. And then number seven says, now this was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. He's like, here's my sandal. <laughs> Here he takes off his shoe. And that's when he's like, okay, like that's how they did the deal. Like you give up some, you must, must have to buy more shoes. But <laughs> so, so therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. And he drew off his shoe. <laughs> yeah. What an interesting exchange. You know, I'm kind of just sitting back and thinking, you know, especially like for our listeners, you know, what are you thinking about this story and how does it make sense for you? And why was this woman like, sometimes it's hard for me to understand that a woman needed a man to go and, you know, do the negotiation for her and to, you know, do this well, deal and she comes with the land and like all of that. I'm kind of like my like rebellious proud spirit is like, whatever, dude, I don't need any of you guys, you know, but. Well, and it's interesting is it's not even that long ago that women got rights to land and to vote in our own country. Like, I mean, a hundred or so years ago. I mean, this is not that long ago, hundred yeah. years ago. And yeah. so this is like the entire, like, uh, history of our planet has mostly been women have not had the rights, which is just amazing now that finally, finally, the women are unveiled. That's what's so important about this. Like it is our, we are such an integral. We are the, what keep the threads of society together, of moral society together. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I also love how we, you know, we named this one unshaken and you talked about your car accident and how it, how it could have affected you. And, and it did to a certain extent, you know, it was very difficult. It's, you're still going to have to deal with some things because of it. Right. And we read about Ruth and we read about her life and what happened to her and how hard that was. And I mean, just gleaning in the fields and it's, she didn't know that she was going to end up with Boaz and that she was going to be taken care of. She had no idea that any of that was going to happen. But once it did, I, I believe like firmly that she was unshaken. And I think what we can take from this story is that each of us can emerge from our trials in life, no matter what they may be, no matter how hard and everything, you can choose to be unshaken that you, you look at that as like, wow, Lord, thank you for teaching me. Thank you for showing me. I'm humble. I'm willing to submit. I'm willing to follow thy laws and I will do it unshaken so that I can continue to be a light for others so that I can continue to, you know, point the way on this path back to God. Yeah. And it just shows the abundance when we do his will the abundance. Look what happened when they didn't do his will, not allowing people to glean. They went into a famine. I mean, this is why the records, like you were saying in the beginning, it's so important is because history repeats itself. If we don't learn from our forefathers, then we are just going to destined to do the same exact thing. And that is why, you know, you look at uh, Ruth and she put so much faith into following what felt like love and more valuable, this this love for this God and for Naomi, then going back to familiarity for herself, like Lot's wife, going back to familiarity and just being um, unshaken in that faith, coming forward and then having to glean, having to be probably ridiculed and even threatened with her own, you know, uh, virtue in, around, you know, the travels, let alone by other, you know, people because she's a Moabitess and just all of these things that I, all of a sudden brings everything God's able to go, okay, just go through this little journey. It may seem massive to you and it might've lasted a few years for her, but um, I've got you. Like I've got you. You're going to be maybe shaken up a little bit, but I've got you and you're going to see that and then you will be unshaken. And, you know, I just kind of wrap up with the scripture here, um, Ruth 4, 13, it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and the Lord gave her um, conception and she bare a son. 
And is, and then Naomi, it says, the woman said unto Naomi, blessed be the Lord, this is Ruth, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name be famous in Israel. So so Naomi and Eli Melech, uh, or Mahlon, her, her husband, Ruth's husband, Mahlon, which was Naomi's son, now gets the inheritance um, from Boaz and Ruth's son becomes really Mahlon's son or Naomi's inheritance. So it's just kind of how it works. And she says to about the Lord, she says, and he shall be, or the, the son, he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine own old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And so this becomes um, Ruth and Boaz's son becomes, let's see, they called him Obed, E, I mean, O-B-E-D. And he is the father of Jesse, which is the father of David. So this is the lineage of David, which we know is the lineage of Christ. And so then it shows, shares the generations all the way up to um, Jesse who begat David. I just think the King David, um, I just think that's so beautiful. How everything wraps back around to how much the Lord just like can do when we follow him. And even, even if we're so minuscule in our mindset, we can't see it. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I love just hearing you read the lineage that like Obed and then Jesse and then David. And we're like, Oh yeah, David, I know that one. You know, I feel like some of the others are a little harder to put together. And, but then we're like, Oh yeah, David, we definitely know that. And it's cool. We're really moving along and seeing the hand of God. Uh, oh, and I just, together. Oh, sorry. I just noticed it did say, so Salman. So, um, Solomon, who did marry Rahab, we just don't know if he was one of the spies, but it says he, they begat Boaz and Boaz begat Obed and Obed begat Jesse and Jesse begat David. What a noble like lineage too. And so Christ is so aware of like your children. He's so aware of, I just think this story is, he knows he like, you're this little tiny pinpoint in the center of some Babylonish city, you know, Moab. Yeah. that are, you know, basically teaching you that it's normal to sacrifice babies and children and to, you know, that women are treated as prostitutes there as well. It's like normal to be a prostitute. And so this, this, in this pinpoint of a city where she's taught and brought up in this culture, he knows her heart. And he's like, I'm going to send this family and it's like this random situation, you know, it's like, you're going to marry this guy. They're all going to die. Then you're going to go with your mother-in-law to back to the land where I'm, you know, involved in this land because people hear me and I'm going to not, you're not going to marry this kinsman. He's going to be like, nah. And then you're going to marry Boaz. And that's where Christ's lineage is all coming from. And he's just, he knows us and he's very particular about every single one of us and your traits and what you can do versus anybody else. Yeah, that's beautiful. I was thinking as you were saying that, I'm like, well, why couldn't Ruth just have married Boaz like normally? Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, why, why did it have to be like this family comes here and then you marry this guy, but then he dies and then you got to, you know what I mean? Like my, here's the question. Would she have become unshaken if she what? wasn't shaken up right yeah I don't know sometimes all that shakenness is like (laughs) I'm shaken enough no more shaking (laughs) but yeah it's really really nice to see the end results of that shaking the journey refined her Uh uh-huh the entire journey and yeah, so I guess we'll just kind of wrap up there. The story of Ruth and being unshaken and just sharing um, and I guess keeping the faith in your journey, right? Our own journey um, to that trusting that it's developing you to become unshaken, to hearken consistently unto the voice of the Lord. And that even though all these unexplainable, weird things happen or maybe asked of us that that he's got us and he blessed Ruth that was so much because Boaz was a very wealthy man. He wasn't, you know, wanting for anything. And so she came from like, how could she have ever known as a little, you know, young girl and then leaving this, what she would end up in, in this situation and being blessed with so much abundance. I just think that's um, beautiful. So, 
Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, no, I think you really said it. You said it. I, I think depending on when each of you are listening to this podcast, I would imagine, especially right now, a lot of people feel shaken. I mean, I, it's just a tumultuous time. It's what it is. It's not a time of certainty right now. You know, and, and Danielle, you and I talk about that, right? Like, it's not certain. It's, it's bothersome to our futuristic nature of needing to know and plan and all of these things, you know? And so there's so much more faith required in that. Um, and we love you. We thank you for listening. We love you. We're sending love to you right now. And we know that it is uncertain. And we know that we will emerge unshaken. So just know that we have each other. We have each other's backs. We have the scriptures. We have the prophets. We have the covenant on our land. It's up to each of us individually to be found worthy of that spirit. I, I do want to share one quick little thing that I experienced last night. <clears throat> um, I was, it was actually my husband's birthday and um, we were celebrating out um, on the ocean. We were on a boat and it was beautiful and the moon came out and there was a star this beautiful star right above the moon. And, and I have this tendency, like I've just always done this as a child. I'm sure a lot of you do this too. I'll make a wish on a star. <clears throat> and it was a really special time. And I knew that like I could really pray and ask in faith and I was going to, you know, receive this thing that I asked for, you know, I could not think of anything I wanted more than just a direct channel to God. Like that's, that's the only thing I asked for. I'm like, everything else, Lord, everything else is going to fall into place. I need a clear channel to thee, like unshaken, un, you know, distract, no distractions, nothing, just a clear message and channel from God. And so that's what I would encourage you to seek after as well. That's really, you know, when we talk about your treasure and what you desire and all those things, really, it is that deeper connection to our God that allows us to thrive. Yeah. Thanks. That's just beautiful. I love that you shared that about the, um, the star and you're right. It is the exactly what we need to seek in these uncertain times. That's the only thing that is certain and just kind of going, it just had this visual picture of her whole story and we can see her whole journey and read it. And the thought that came to me that you and I say a lot is the best is yet to come. Our world is being unshaken, right? Are being shaken up and our uncertain, um, uncertainties are happening all around us and are going to continue. But the one thing we can be certain is in the Lord and then realizing even with her story after everything she went through, the best is yet to come. This is a time to hope in things that are way greater than just, you know, moving into that nice beach house, for example. <laughs> I mean, this is time to really start thinking of things on a terrestrial level. And so it's like the best is yet to come. And I love that. So no matter what kind of uncertainties and trials and all the shakenness that happens around and maybe even physically happening on this earth, you know, earthquakes and all that kind of stuff that the best is yet to come. And all of these are just part of that journey to get us to that um, better life. I'm excited. Thank you so much. Uh, wonderful to be on with you, sisters, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.